to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for stopping by Houston Sports Talk. Robert Land along with co-host R.G. Seal. And R.G., I was looking it up, and I believe this is about the week we started five years ago. It's been five years on Houston Sports Talk. Can you believe it? So you're saying there's an anniversary? It's just five years now? Hey, if, if you've never listened to us or if you're fairly new to us, uh, we've we've had some great interviews over the year. We've interviewed uh, over the years. We've interviewed AL Cy Young Award winner Dallas Keuchel, NBA Hall of Fame Rockets guard Calvin Murphy, Astros World Series MVP George Springer a few times, NFL Hall of Fame Oilers Elvin Bethay and Robert Brazil, World Cup champions Megan Klingenberg and Morgan Bryan, Olympic gold medalist uh, Simone Biles, AL MVP Jose Altuve, and, and and you know those some of those interviews are smaller, shorter, but we've had some great. Uh, extended interviews, uh, some good stuff with people like Bob Aspermani, the former Astro that, you know, he played with Jackie Robinson. And I mean, just some incredible stuff over the years, RG. And it, it's it's really been fun. And I mean, we talked to people. I don't, I don't think you and I ever thought we would get a chance to talk to. Well, so what you're saying is people can listen to these all weekend long. You got five years to go through right here. Yeah, but you got a lot of stuff. So go back into the archives if you haven't checked it out no it's but it really has been a lot of fun there have been a lot of great people that we've talked to i mean every single interview has been interesting and you know or else we wouldn't have had them on the show but yeah there's a lot of stuff to go through depends what your interests are yeah and we talked uh we're not gonna talk any rockets for this one but you know we just put up if you missed it we talked to david wiener from clutch fans uh he knows his rockets we talked about the entire uh, rockets offseason what's been going on the recent news with uh jeff bedzelik which is Huge loss for the Rockets. He decided to retire. The Basically, our defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator for the Houston Rockets. Uh, so go check that out. We talked to little Houston Cougars with the Daily Cougars. Des Ewell, you know, they've gone uh, one and one over the last couple of weeks against uh, two big-time programs in Arizona. And, of course, uh, they lost in, in a shootout against Texas Tech. But uh, and, 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 and our Allison Footer interview was really interesting. Uh, talking about Astros last week, uh, big picture. So it's not something that uh, is going to have a short shelf life. So go check that out. But uh, RG, uh, what are your thoughts on the Astros right now? I mean, is there anything that you're seeing that concerns you, that you're getting excited about? What do you think? I think everybody gets excited about getting closer to the postseason. I mean, this is a team that, uh, as we're recording this, a couple of games away from just even clinching a postseason berth, and and their magic number is down to seven as far as to win the AL West outright. I mean, you have to credit the Oakland Athletics. They've been uh, a fantastic team this year. They've actually kept the Astros on, on their heel the whole season long. And, and so... You know, that's ultimately, I think, going to be good because, you know, that's something when you're you're in a division race, when you're having to play meaningful games till, until the end of the season. I mean, I know being on cruise controls, better kind of save your playoff roster. The Astros kind of did that last year, knowing that they were going to win the AL West and it worked out. But but still, you like to be kind of where you're you're playing meaningful games where you where you have to go out there every single day and and uh, snag a victory to keep pace with uh, those nipping at your heels. I'm going to throw something at you. You can tell me what you think. Uh, I looked at the numbers over the last 20 appearances. Teams are hitting 244 with a 732 OPS first Brad Peacock. You know, that's not too great. Over the last 23 appearances, teams are hitting 283 with an 
807 OPS versus Hector Rondon. He's really struggled the second half of the season. When you look at the numbers, um, are we sure, RG, that they're both a lock to make the postseason roster? Because somewhere you might want to fit Josh James. We talked about him and, and what he's been able to do with the power arm, somebody that you know can come in and get a strikeout in a big situation. Uh, they're batting 172 against him. It's only a few appearances. I get it. He's a young guy, but it might be something that you're, you want to think about. Even Framber Valdez, they're batting 184 against him. You know, he, under the radar, he's, he's looked great. He's unbelievable so far. They're not going to, unless he's injured, they're not going to take Hector Rondon off the roster. This is a guy that's been uh, the Astros' closer until they acquired Roberto Asuna, and he went into the role. He's been eighth or ninth innings. He's had a tremendous season. The guy's a lock to make the postseason roster, so that's just silly to even say that he would, we, he would be removed from it. Second of all, Brad Peacock, he's had that hand, foot, and mouth disease. He's, he's had some uh, ailments here. So, But I think if he's healthy, just based, based on what he did last season, we know how devastating his slider can be. Yes, he's had the, the home run balls this year and, and hasn't performed as, as he did in the past, but he's been a clutch postseason performer before. And uh, so I assume that he'll probably be one of the guys on the roster. As for Framber Valdez, look, he's been great. Uh, but you have a decision to make because of all the other arms that you're planning to take in your bullpen. You know, you have to decide between Tony Sepp and Bramber Valdez. And for me, even though, you know, we we've criticized on this show, Tony Sepp over the years, he's had a tremendously good season uh, up to this point. And, you know, I mean, he's uh, his whip is a 1.06. He's had uh, 32 games a season, 27.1 innings pitched. Uh, 30 strikeouts. I mean, he's been an effective uh, reliever, you know, and his uh, earned run average, too, is, is 165. So he's going to be on the uh, on the postseason roster here. And, uh, you know, so that's somebody that, you know, you're, you're going to be putting him on because you need to have a situational left hander. Now, Framber Valdez has been valuable, just what you said, being a rookie to come in, give innings pitched and, and to do that. And, and, and look, this has all been important to try to win the division. And he's been helpful. I just don't see him being on the roster there because, A, he's not going to be starting like he has been doing. And then if you put him in the bullpen a situational situa- uh, in situational purposes, it's better to have Tony Sip. And then you'd have to remove somebody else, like you said, a Josh James. Do you want Josh James who throws 100 or do you want do you want uh, Framber Valdez? Do you want uh, Colin McHugh, who's been what you said was an all-star uh, this year for most of the season? Or do you want Framber Valdez? I mean, I'm sorry. It's just a numbers game. Yeah, if you think it's a lock for Osuna, Rundone, Presley, Sip, McHugh, Joe Smith, and Peacock. So those are your, your seven-man bullpen. And you've got your four starters. They went with eleven guys last year in the ALDS. If you think that's a lock, I didn't say I didn't say Peacock was a lock, and I'm pretty sure that Joe Smith, because of his arm angle sidearm, and he's really pitched well the second half of the season. And yeah, I mean, you you would expect for for those, but I I still think if Lance McCullers healthy and he's coming out of there, he's going to be on the postseason roster too. But he might not be it for the ALDS. Remember, you can keep making the, the Astros plan to use him this last week of the season. They plan to put Lance McCullers out there for the bullpen. Now, they might decide because it's a short five-game series. They have their four starters, and it's it's only, again, five games. It's not seven games. They might decide to only have 11 pitchers, and they might, uh, like they did last season, and they might take, uh, you know, 
uh, Lance McCullers and say, take a few more days to, to rehab, throw a simulated game, we'll get you ready for the following round. But I know they want to get him some, at least some game action here this last week of the season, so that's important. Right, and and the only thing I, that what I was going to say is that the, there is another option. They could add another guy to the bullpen, maybe go with less uh, hitters, less regular guys. I mean, c- could that be an option, do you think? That's an option. Uh, again, like, well, I, I was looking back at last season. They went with 14 position players. Remember, they had three catchers and 11, 11 position, excuse me, 11 pitchers in the first round against Boston in the ALDS last year. Then they went to 13 and 12 for the other, I believe, for the ALCS and for the World Series. So I think that that might be a way that they go again this year, do something like that. And again, they, you know, you can you can make different roster decisions for each round. So, you know, for instance, you know, I mean, it's not out of the question if somebody doesn't pitch well, like what you've been mentioning in the first round, and then you you still keep guys like Framber Valdez or you keep a Brad Peacock or a Chris Davinsky, even whomever, you keep them ready and, and available and or Lance McCullers coming off an injury. You can always put them on the roster for the second round for the if the Astros advance that far, making that assumption or for the World Series. So there's there's mi- mixing and matching you can do with each successive division round. You don't have to make a decision and expect it to be throughout the whole postseason. This is just round by round in baseball. I mean, guys can get hot. Things can change. But what's your lineup? What's your starting lineup for the Astros when they go to the postseason? I mean, I I would assume it's going to be Springer and then Altuve and Bregman like they've been going. Uh, What do you do from there on? I mean, obviously, Yuli and Gurriel and Correa are in the lineup. Josh Reddick's in the lineup. Uh, You might be flip-flopping catchers depending on a lefty-righty situation between McCann and and Maldonado. Uh, What's your lineup from from there on? Well, you pretty much have the whole lineup right there. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Marwin Gonzalez is the only one you're really leaving out because your infield is going to be right. Bregman, Correa, Altuve, and uh, Yuli Gurriel. Then your catcher, it's either McCann or Maldonado. And then you have your DH. It's going to be Tyler White, most likely. They'll probably keep Evan Gaddis, too. He can be an option. Then you have your outfield. Again, you have – it depends, you know, uh, there's there's Reddick. So if you're facing a left-hander or a right-hander, but against – it's, remember that the Cleveland Indians who the Astros are going to be facing if they win the division, uh, they have Corey Kluber, they have, uh, you know, Carlos Carrasco, they, they're now getting Trevor Bauer back, Mike Clevenger. So they have these uh, pitchers in there uh, and then, you know, a lot of them are right handers there. So you have to uh, to look at it that they're going to want left handed bats in the lineup. So, yeah, Josh Reddick in the outfield and you have George Springer who would be starting anyway. And, and then. You can look at, I mean, I would think it would be Marwin Gonzalez because he's a switch hitter, but, you know, Tony Kemp, it's not exactly out of the question that he'll get a, a starter too because he's a left-hander and, and, and Cleveland has, again, excellent right-handed starters. And so you might want to try to jumpstart the lineup. And, and he's been been good at that, at, at, you know, being able to get on base. And so, and we know base runners in the postseason, that, that's a premium. But judging on Marwin Gonzalez and the way he's hit in the clutch in the past and his postseason experience, I would assume that he would probably get that nod. And, you know, maybe you pinch it late, you know, with with Tony Kemp or something like that. And, and against left-handers, then, of course, it's always a possibility that Jake Marisnik gets a start. I know people are, 
you know, look at that. But at least he'll be a late inning defensive re- replacement too. So yeah, I, I guess the question I had, and you you kind of went went on with all. Yeah, it, it is obvious who's going to play. I'm just saying, what's the order? I gave you one, two, three. What are you doing from there on? Who's four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine? To me, that's also kind of like who the pitcher is, who they're facing, what their numbers are. So if a batter has a particularly you know good career record against, I don't have the statistics in front of me. Uh, for against Corey Kluber, you know, against uh, Trevor Bauer, whoever the Indians are starting. I mean, that'll factor into it. So, but I mean, just generally speaking, you know, I mean, it seems like right now because Correa hasn't gotten his bat going and he's still maybe battling that injury and not 100% has mechanical issues that he'll probably be batting down lower in the order. He's Adam Everett right now, basically. He's a... Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want... I well, mean, that's but, a, I mean, it's true. I mean, that's what he's... That's who he is offensively. He's not Adam Everett, but, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not the hitter that he was. And that's also kind of scary for the Astros because, look, I mean... Other than Alex Bregman, all the guys on the roster really aren't having the year that they had last year. I mean, Altuve was an MVP last year. Of course, we weren't expecting that again. But how many times have we said, well, you know, Marlon Gonzalez isn't having the season that he had last season. And then you have George Springer has tailed off since his hot start, you know, and well, Springer's Springer's hitting better recently. Springer's doing fine, but he's streaky. He's always a streaky. hitter. Yeah, I mean, that's that's who that's who he's going to be. But I mean, one guy we never mentioned is I mean, Josh Reddick is 100 points lower. That's a huge deal. But he didn't do well, it again. He, yeah. he didn't do anything in the playoffs last year anyway. So uh, they did get it. But he's going to start. We know he's going to be in the lineup there. So but if he doesn't perform i think that aj hinch might have a sh- i mean uh, i would think that you know if their guys aren't hitting if they go through a a one through 15 or or you know oh oh for 20 you know two for 25 type stretch i mean those are the guys that you know you can't have that this postseason i think there'll be a shorter leash because there are other options that they can put in the lineup there yeah we we don't mention also the genius of brent strom nearly enough uh you look what he's done this year and uh it's just it's remarkable justin verlander rg he's a cy young candidate some people think he should win at age 35 i mean you could say chris sale has got better numbers or blake snell but when you look at the overall picture of how many innings more than he's got than a lot of those guys and the strikeouts and and everything i mean he's just he's so durable so he puts up all these innings so it's justin verlander Again, possible Cy Young Award winner, Garrett Cole, best year ever. Charlie Morton, best year ever. Joe Smith, best season since 2014. Rendon, even with the struggles, it's his best season since 2015. And Ryan Presley, since he's gotten to Houston, has been flat-out ridiculous. I mean, Brent Strom, again, nobody talks about him. We talk a lot about A.J. Hinch or Jeff Luno. Brent Strom he is so indispensable. I mean, he's done a great job as pitching coach. And I, I want to apologize to people who are listening when I gave Tony Sips numbers earlier. His, his current ERA is 206, 35 innings pitch, 1.14 whip. So I, I just wanted to correct the error there. But, yeah, Justin Verlander, 202 innings, 267 ERA, uh, 269 strikeouts. Uh, he's, you know, with uh, only a couple of starts left. I mean, I guess you can't put it past him having, you know, 15 or 16 strikeouts and getting to that magical 300 number but I mean even to get close to that and to, to have your name and etch an Astros history up there with guys like uh 
Mike Scott, Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richard, as far as strikeouts in a season. I mean, it's it's really uh, impressive. And uh, yeah, J- Justin Verlander definitely will merit Cy Young consideration, but I, I don't think that he's going to win just because there probably will be uh, that that uh, consideration for Blake Snell, just the superb season that he's having. And he's going to also uh, end up winning uh, 20 games. And, you know, that's kind of a magical number. And then you have somebody like a Chris Sale, who's had a tremendous season for the Red Sox, but he was injured late. So, you know, but Justin Verlander, you, you can't. The other thing is, you know, he's had like a couple of guys on his staff have excellent seasons along with him. But I mean, it would it shock me if he won the Cy Young Award, too. No, I mean, especially if if he has a couple of like shutouts down the stretch and wins, uh, you know, 18 games here and lowers his ERA and uh, is dominant going into the postseason. then you know, all bets are off and he could end up winning the Cy Young. I would just right now, it seems like he's at a little bit of a disadvantage. Yeah, actually, Blake Snell has picked up his 20th win, so that's a done deal. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and uh, the other little Astros note that I noticed this week, uh, former Astros great Morgan Ensberg, yeah, great, maybe not great, but <laughs> he had a really good year one year, almost got uh, or did get into the MVP conversation. But uh, RG gets fired after leading single-A Bowie's Creek to the championship in his second season as the manager, and you know, unlike the rest of uh, his hitting career, RG, this is this wasn't a situation where Morgan Ensberg got caught looking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I love Morgan. He's been on the show. He's a good guy. It's surprising though. I, I, you know, he's been with the organization for a long time. He, it looks like he did a good job as a manager. Uh, you know, that's a little bit unexpected anyway. Well, I think actually the to, to me, the bigger one was actually Rodney Linares, who's uh, I mean, he won the triple A again like this past season. He was really successful with the hooks, had been with the Astros organization a long time. A lot of players credit that. And they, they had a parting of the ways at the end of the season there, too. But, uh, you know, that that happens. Uh, I just was uh, curious kind of like for your, your take as far as for getting back to the Astros roster and, and putting it together for the postseason. kind of like, what would be your order? Uh, you know, I assume that Justin Verlander starts the first game kind of, how would you set things up after that for uh, best three of five uh, series? Right. I, I, I guess I would say you, you put Keuchel at number two, uh, the righty left, really? left lefty thing, and then and then uh, Garrett Cole, but I I don't know. I mean, I to me, I I mean, I just think Garrett Cole's pitched so much better. I would put Garrett. You know, what's gonna happen is I think it might be Keuchel. What what should happen is is Garrett Cole should be number two, then Keuchel, then Charlie Morton, maybe even I see. I'm not, I'm just not big on Keuchel because he's he's a guy that. Uh, it's kind of hit to contact and, you know, he was so great in 2015 that year, you know, if he was pitching like that, I would say, oh yeah, you know, you got to have him up at the top of the rotation. He's not, he's not, he's not anywhere close to where he was there. And he's such a pitch to contact guy in the, in the postseason, you know, that typically doesn't work real well. So yeah, that, that would be my one through four. I would go Verlander Cole. Um, I, like I said, I might even go Morton and Keuchel, especially Morton. He, Morton was so clutch last year. I mean, you know, just I love Charlie Morton. Yeah, I do, too. I mean, I'd love to have uh, him and, and pitching up to potentially, you know, because the Astros, it looks like they're going to have home field if they end up winning and, and doing that. So I think that I kind of lean your way there, too, with Justin Berlander the first game. 
just with Keuchel, he seems to, over his career, he's pitched really well at home. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, if that's something that maybe they do that there and then go, you know, have like Charlie Morton or, you know, Garrett Cole start a game three. And then if you have a game four, does, I mean, it depends if it's an elimination game or, you know, do you bring back uh, Verlander then on short run? How, what do you do? And, and kind of, I mean, the Astros will have a bunch of, the Astros have so many good starters. They're a, a team that's unlike a lot of the other, uh, you know, teams that are out there. Although the Cleveland Indians have very good starters too. I mean, there are a few teams that have excellent starters where you kind of know how you're, you know, and so it, it can kind of make it a little bit more complex than, than for other teams. But I, I would kind of uh, be along your lines of thinking there. And I guess too, just asking, I know you're a big Tyler White fan, the great white shark. And I, I assume that you, you want him to be the DH in the series. And yeah, I want him in the four spot. I mean, I, it doesn't look like they like him in the four spot. I mean, there's been this chance with Correa moving down and everything. I, you know, I'd have him or, or Yuli in the four spot. I don't know why. Uh, uh, AJ just seems to be so in love with putting uh, Marwin in the four spot. I don't get it. I mean, Marwin's, I get he's hit pretty well recently, but Yuli is absolutely the the best clutch hitter on the Astros. I mean, him and Bregman are the two guys that you would say are the best clutch hitters right now. Uh, no question. So, yeah, that, that's how I would go. I mean, I would go tight. You, would you take another power bat, like, of course, Evan Gaddis then on the roster to have him available to pinch hit, be another DH? Or, I mean, the Astros could go with another option there where they try to bring speed off the bench, pinch runner. I think you can have both. I mean, you're going to have both. You're going to have Marisnik for speed, and Tony Kemp probably is going to be coming off the bench for speed. And then you're going to have Gaddis. And, and, and Gaddis, if, McCann, if McCann's facing a lefty late, maybe they bring – and Gaddis in, or maybe even Gaddis could even pinch it for uh, Maldonado because Gaddis is a, is a little better hitter than Maldonado is. So I mean that's, I mean that's that's what Gaddis is going to be for. He's going to be probably pinching, and even Josh Reddick, he could pinch it for Josh Reddick late in games too as well. So I mean that, those are all possibilities. And you got Marisnik and Tony Kemp that could come off the bench uh, in, in that case. And and your your numbers, by the way, for Keiko home and road this year, it's not the same as it's been in the past. I mean, I, I, I know what you're talking about, but it's a 3.9 ERA at home this year and a 3.52 on the road this year. And his whips, whip numbers are almost identical home road. So, you know, I don't know if that's going to matter a whole lot. I was going to ask you, um, you know, just getting off the Astros for a second, I, I want to ask you this because there's a little article about John Smoltz and, you know, he says he's got an idea of how to fix baseball. And there's some stuff that he mentions that I think everybody's talked about. He's not a big fan of the shift and, uh, you know, the multiple changing of pitchers, which you and I have talked about. But uh, one thing that he proposes and the more you think about it, you know, it's not not such a bad idea. He says, uh, you know, let's adopt the uh, split season schedule uh, just as they do in the minor leagues. Minor leagues. He believes that it'll create dramatic division races again, reduce the number of teams tanking for draft picks. Uh, he says it's time for teams to go back to playing the same schedule, eliminate interleague play, dump the rival series, and have old-fashioned pennant races, uh, doubling the pleasure with one in each half of the season. And RG, this is what he says. I think it gets real interesting. He says, um, uh, the way it is now, 75% of teams leave spring training with no chance to win, no desire to win, so they can rebuild for the future. You look at the American League, 
It's uh, self-sufficient on four teams. We've got no races. He said, I'd like to see a first-half, second-half scenario. I know people would kind of roll their eyes, but it, it would re- create more interest. Uh, teams would no longer be so quick to wave the white flag. If you have a lousy first half, there's an incentive to trade for players to start the second half instead of just giving up. You'd have two trading deadlines instead of just one. Who knows, teams might even start having their best prospects prospects playing for them in September instead of sending them home for financial reasons. And I mean, you look at the numbers this year and baseball is having its worst attendance numbers since 2003. So there's there's reason to make it interesting for these other teams. As an Astros fan, like we're happy with everything that's going the way it's going right now. But yeah, I mean, it would make things more interesting for the other teams and 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 uh it would kind of add it to the intrigue because 162 games for a lot of these teams just means 162 games of like wait till next year it does but i mean there i can see the pros to it which you mentioned about that but there are also some cons and part of it where a when he said eliminate interleague play i just don't see that happening because of the uh, interest with like the new york mets and the new york yankees playing los angeles los angeles you know, those kind of like a Chicago White Sox, Chicago Cubs, and plus te- getting to see some of these other teams and players come to cities every few years. I think just I don't think that interleague's going away. I mean, maybe in a, I think they would like to reduce it and maybe have it like it used to be where it was only a couple of weeks during the season and, and stuff like that. But I just don't see interleague baseball uh, going away. And the, and the other thing, too, is it just – I, I like the fact that baseball's always been a marathon season and and it, it enables over 162 games. And, you know, if you have a great starting staff, uh, you know, that's it's it, with the just general attrition that happens to pitching staffs over a season with starters. You know, so if you build up over the long term, you know, this might I know we're in the bullpenning age and everything like that. But if you I mean, all of a sudden, if you're trying to win a division within, you know, a two month, uh, you know, if it's split season, it just it could change things around because there are all these chaotic races to and then you start over again. So uh, I don't know. I just I think that there's some things that still need to be ironed out about it. It's interesting. I know they do at the minor league level, but that's not the major league level. And I, I, I just think that. It's something, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways to potentially uh, improve baseball. But, you know, that as far as a split season, I, I don't see that at the at the at the top from at least from from my view here. Maybe some others uh, like that. I mean, remember when that happened with the uh, the, uh, the the other thing was the Astros. Remember, they had the uh, split season way back in the strike short season of 19. What was it? 1981. And. The Astros I, ended up winning uh, one half, and the Dodgers ended up winning one half. But Cincinnati had the best record throughout the whole season, and and missed it. So again, that's like something where you know you play well for one half, and the other team plays well for one half, and then you you square off in the playoffs. But uh, I I don't know how would the playoff scenario work there too? Would there still? I mean, you would just have those kind of division winners or the split season teams play play and the ones who finish second. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be uh, a, you know, I think he mentions like a, a best of three with, you know, each half division went just, I think that wasn't that what they did in the 81 strike season. It was a best of series between the Astros and the Dodgers. Yes. Yes. But then that also eliminates like right now you have 
five playoff teams. So, right, that would only mean for each league, that would mean four playoff teams because each split, you know, maybe you have the split right if you were to do divisions, a couple of divisions. and Well, you got you got three division winners, and uh, they said if, if you win, it's like if you win both halves, you get a bye. So that would, you okay. would benefit by that. Uh, but I guess, uh, I, I'm not, I don't know exactly how it would all work, but, uh, basically six, you're talking about six teams getting in. So it'd be like, you know, cause each, you got three divisions so in each, each league. Actually. Yeah. In each league. So you'd have, you'd actually have one more team, uh, than you, than you were having getting in before, but it, well, that might be something that's, I mean, you know, it's interesting to them to have an extra, I, I didn't know how, like, I wasn't looking at this. I don't have it in front of me. So I, I don't, I'm just going off of what you said. So I didn't know if they were going to go back to two divisions, three divisions. Cause you said they're getting rid of interleague play, but right now they, they can't get rid of interleague play because they have 15 teams in each league. So, um, you know, the, uh, necessary to be playing every day to have like at least one interleague game. So I, I don't know. Again, it's something that I'm sure that like there are a lot of things that they're thinking about getting, you know, making the uh, designator hitter uniform, like you said, uh, talking about what to do with the defensive shift. There, there are a lot of reasons for, for, but this may be a one year aberration or it may be something that's a longer term thing to address. So uh, again, I, you know, it, it will still get back to me if you're, if you're watching a baseball game. It's more about the pace of play, right? In the 1960s and, and, and 70s, we used to hear these games were two hours long. Now they're they're four hours long, and there's all these pitching changes and substitutions. So for me, it's it's more probably about shorter games. But also, yeah, I think there's got to be ways to incentivize teams not to tank. I mean, the NBA is doing the same thing too, right? I mean, that's what. Adam Silver and uh, the executives have been thinking about for years about how do we make it so that, you know, teams just aren't thinking about ping pong balls when they arrive, you know, each uh, training camp. And the same thing in baseball now. It's all about tanking and getting draft picks and building up your farm system. So there have to be different ways. I'm just not sure a split schedule does that. But it's nice to think that there are people out there trying to come up with ideas to to. you know, make the game more interesting and more competitive in, in, in all the different cities. Yeah. Speaking of tanking, uh, the Texans, uh, that's what they're probably doing right now. It seems it's what they're doing. RG, they, they lose uh, again. They fall to 0-2. And, and if they lose this week, RG, I asked uh, my Twitter followers on Locked On Texans and retweeted over to Houston Sports Talk as well. Uh, I said, are there playoffs over with if they lose? And it's 74% said yes, and it really should be 100%. You go 0-3 in this division with the way Jacksonville's playing right now. They just beat the Patriots. I mean, that's a that's a darn good team. Uh, they're, they're not going anywhere, I think. They, they've got uh, a lot of depth, especially on the defensive. So the defense is going to keep them in it. Blake Bortles just figures out a way to do enough these days. But, you know, now they're, they're behind everybody. I mean, even the Colts are playing a little bit better under Andrew Luck. So... I mean, the Texans, you know, this 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 could be it. I mean, RG, back in the day, you and I remember in 1993, the Oilers started one and four. Yeah, they made the playoffs, but they had to win like 11 straight. You know, I don't I don't think the Texans are going to go win, pull off an 11 straight. Well, I don't think they're. But look, I, they're not 100 percent done either. If they lose this upcoming Sunday, like you just said, that's that's also utterly ridiculous. So, uh, you know. Maybe they're 90 percent done, you know, but they're not 100 percent done because, look, I mean, in the second half of the season, 
They have the Browns. I know the Browns are improved this season, but they still have the Browns. They have the you know the Colts at home. I mean, the Colts will be improved, but they're they're at the Jets. You know, they've got the Bills on the schedule still. You know, they're they're not like I know they have they go on the road for the Eagles and stuff, but you know, you don't know whether or not a nine and seven record could squeak into the playoffs again. The AFC. You know, and in certain ways, it, it seems, you know, very dominant with like a Jacksonville, potentially the way that Kansas City's playing, maybe in the AFC West or Denver, uh, you know, you're always going to have. But Pittsburgh's 0-2 right now. That wasn't a team you were expecting to be 0-2. You know, uh, New England's 1-1. One one. So, I mean, it just it might be something where 9-7. And, and and even if you start off 0-3, is it possible that you go, um, uh, you know, Ten and three the rest of the season. I mean, I it's not likely, but I could see it. It's you know with the schedule that they have and still having seven home games remaining. The Texans tend to play well at home, so if they could you know win win the remaining home games and and win a couple on the uh, you know two or three on the road, then you know they're back in the playoff mix. So yeah, I mean it's a tall order. Uh, but I just I hate doing these extremes that, oh, they're done they're they're no, you know, there's no way they can win. They had two road games to begin the season. They had one road game at New England, which really they weren't favored. Nobody really expected them to win. And then they went to Tennessee, a division rival who made the playoffs last year. They're owing to to me. It's more about coaching. It's more about the long term, how Bill O'Brien has looked and his coaching staff. He's been outcoached two straight games. He was outcoached by Bill Belichick. That always happens. Right. I mean, uh, you know, he always gets, he's, uh, the master and the apprentice. He always gets, you know, shown by, uh, the master shown up by the master Bill Belichick, but you have the other that's there, the, you know, Mike Vrabel, his protege, the guy that's been coaching under, you know, Bill O'Brien, he comes in and completely schools him in week two. So, I mean, I think going forward, we have to look at the coaching staff. Do they come out with a good game plan this Sunday? Because New York, they have to win, too. They're 0-2 as well. So, I mean, for them, they fall back 0-3 in that division with the defending champion Eagles. The, the You know, the Cowboys are in that division. The Washington Redskins, you know, they can't afford to fall back 0-3, or especially in New York. So, they're going to be coming out and you know, guns a blazing trying to win that game. So the Texans have their work cut out for them. And to me, this is the big game for Bill O'Brien and his coaching staff. Right. And just a quick correction. I think you said the Steelers were 0-2. I, I know a, a tie to the oh, Browns right. feel, feels That's like right. it's, a, it's a loss, but yeah, it's still a tie. You're so. right. Sorry. <laughs> it does feel like a loss, doesn't it? Yeah, they're 0-1-1. They're, they're so that, yeah, that's... Uh, but yeah, everybody in the in the Texans division has at least one win except... Guess who? The Texans. They're not the. They're the only ones that are sitting back there. I mean, the Titans and the Colts are one and one now, um, but the Titans. I, I still. I. I still have no good feels about the the Titans uh, having a great season. But the Jags are going to be really good, and it's going to be tough to to start getting yourself out of this hole. And 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 obviously Deshaun also not just to O'Brien, but Deshaun's got to start playing a little bit better quarterback. I mean, yeah, he got 300 yards and threw a couple of touchdowns last week, but he's putting the ball on the ground and throwing, throwing too many interceptions and holding on to the ball too long. All those things. We talked to go to locked on Texans. You'll hear me rant and rave after every Texans game uh, and, and uh, occasionally throughout the week as well. So, uh, but uh, yeah, check us out. We're daily over there and uh, we're having a lot of fun. Good guest as well. So uh, it's uh, just Locked On Texans on iTunes and Spotify and, and Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can get it. Any, anything else, RG? Got to, hey, got to give a nice tip of the cap, too. I forgot to a couple weeks ago, 
Um, and it's been a while, I think, since you and I have talked. But uh, Tina Thompson, Houston Comet, is now a Hall of Fame basketball player. Oh, I thought you were going to say she was on Dancing with the Stars new season. I have no idea. No, no, yeah. She's she's a Hall of Famer. Gave a little shout-out to Carol Dawson. Congratulations to her. Yeah, shout-out to Carol Dawson while she was up there and a couple of uh, Rockets assistants and stuff. By the like way, that. did you watch the uh, Canelo GGG fight? Did you – Triple G? Did you care about that or did you watch it? Nah, I just – I'm – I'm not big into boxing these days. Well, it was actually a pretty good fight. That's why I was wondering. But a lot of people, uh, controversial decision with uh, Canelo Alvarez winning over Triple G. So I didn't know if you had watched it and, and what you thought about it. All right. Next time we talk, it's it's one step closer to finding out where the Astros are when it's all said and done. We're almost there, almost to playoff Woo-hoo. time. Get on the choo-choo train. It's in Minute Maid Park. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great one, guys. Thanks again for listening, and if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com. Locked on!